Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. The baseball season is winding down, but we're about to have the two biggest months of the regular season. So you're definitely going to be wanting tickets. If your team's in, con- in, in contention, you might be making a decision kind of at the last minute. You know what? It's Tuesday night. Let's go ahead and go. You jump on SeatGeek. And you're going to guarantee yourself the best prices, even with that sort of uh, game day type of buying, as opposed to buying them in, in advance. And because SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert, that's 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 kind of how I know. I, I actually use the product here. I have the app on my phone, and it, it's great. It's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to get that $20 rebate is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 383 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It's Friday, August 26th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going, man? It's good. It's good. You know, actually, we we have a... Uh, I'm not going to out him. Okay. We have a listener that uh, was supposed to, to come play ball with me this Wednesday. Uh-oh. And for the first time, and he didn't make it. So he's being a good young associate. I just didn't want to out him because I'm not sure... He wants everybody else in the firm to know uh, how much of a fancy baseball freak he is. Uh, but he missed me uh, going nuts on uh, on our little. Uh, oh, you our... went ham. Oh yeah, because we played inside. Oh, Eno's an inside player. I guess so. Because Eno's trying to get traded to Tampa Bay Rays because he, he, he's the only one who's like, "Hey man, trade me to the Rays. I got to be in a dome. Got to got to have that dome." Although you know the rims are just so much softer inside. And uh, I don't know. I just uh, I hit a bunch of threes. My team won every game. Uh, one, one, the best best sequence was um, hit this hook shot, go down. We, were, we got the the um, the shot to win the game. The ball comes out to me, and the player who's who's guarding me smacks me in the face. <laughs> Still got a little a little bruise from it. Jeez. And instead of um, it was, I, you know, I was bringing the ball around, so he was just trying to get it, and he just hit me in the face instead. Instead of calling a foul, I don't know. It's actually sort of a an iffy call because I'm not sure if he gave up on the play. I know nobody else did because they didn't really know what happened. Uh, but he might have given up on the play a little bit. But I didn't call a foul, and that's that's you're supposed to call the foul the, on offense. I think that's our yeah, rule. That's how, that's how 
every pickup street game that I've played in when I used to yeah. do that sort of thing would be was that you call your own fouls. And there's always right. a guy who calls like 52 fouls a game. <laughs> we had one of those. Always. But, uh, so I was just like, screw it, free shot. And I took the shot and won the game. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very uh, – I, I I would be very surprised if he hadn't kind of slowed down thinking that you would call foul, reset, we'll do it again. Instead, you're like, oh, don't worry. You just tried to smack me. I'm going to slap you with this three <laughs> right in your freaking face. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm also uh, on Cloud9 for Fantasy Baseball reason. Today, I get the chance uh, in Tout Daily to um, – you know, I think there's some sort of monetary prize. I have no idea what the monetary prize is. I yes. do care about money. I'm not claiming I don't care about money. I'm a little bit more excited about the other part of the prize, which is I get to name a, a, a menu item at Foley's in New York. See, that's... I win today. Yeah, that is the, 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 the huge draw. You're right. And yes, there is a situation where they're kind of working out. Um, that's why you don't know exactly what it's going to be from a monetary standpoint. But yes, it will be something... But the treat, I completely agree with you. I do not have the opportunity to do this. Um, there's a handful of you guys in the finals. To name that item, that's going to be the best. Yeah, I mean, if I had a sandwich at Foley's, woo, it'd be perfect. That would be awesome. That would yeah. be awesome. The other way, of course, to do that is to win one of the Tout Wars season-long leagues. Something I won't be doing this year either. <laughs> Just letting you all know. My team yeah. fell apart in the head-to-head. And it was mm-hmm. not great, but anyway, well, I choose between. I you know I don't actually go with super cheap um, starters. In uh, I usually try to because a lot of these DFS, especially this one, is is two starters. Mm-hmm. So I always want to have at least one cheap starter. S- same here. I I, I always like because I play a lot of DraftKings as well. These two sides, FanDuel, is still banned here at least as far as I know in Texas. So I always try to mix it up as well, like at least one one cheaper guy and a stud. Rarely two studs, because then you just you're really yeah, scrounging no for offense. Yeah, so I'll be looking at um I don't know exactly what the prices are yet, but Liriano. Oh no, Liriano's at Toronto, whoops. No, Liriano, yeah. <laughs> He's playing Minnesota. I got screwed up in my brain. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. you don't have to Yeah. They're, so they're not good. Not yeah, Liriano against Minnesota, Luke Weaver against Oakland. Uh, I don't know Cologne against Philadelphia, Phelps against the Padres. I think there's a, a decent number Phelps of. Has been pitching really well. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I I think we already talked about him. Um, on yeah, Wednesday. We, we we did we did mention him. It's just I, I've been impressed because he's doing that Carrasco thing where he just kept velocity. He's ninety three now instead of ninety one. I think exactly. it's a big deal. And that's been a big driving force. He's just he's just been really impressive. I, I just I didn't I didn't expect him to kind of jump into the uh, jump into the rotation and, and kind of give them a boost the way he has. David Phelps has been good. I'd say right now, probably in all formats play, even in 10-team mixers, you should at least be spotting him, um, if not fully owning him, but especially at home against San Diego. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, he's a good consideration for you tonight. Have the only thing looked- I have to worry about with doing a Phelps pick like that is, is everybody going to pick him? That That's a great call, right? Are you going to yeah. be too alike with everybody? So maybe you do Although- go with a Liriano who's – you know, bottom line numbers are still disgusting looking, and maybe there aren't a lot of people going for him. Yeah, so, but I, I wonder, 
maybe that's not so much of a concern when there's a smaller uh, a pool, right? Yeah, because there's only going to be, what, like 10 or 12 of you? There's not a whole lot. So it's the finals. If I tie for a win, I, I just hope that I have no idea what the tie what tiebreaker is. I, but I'm not like trying to separate myself from thousands of people where you know you know 80 percent of them have David Phelps. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That that that's definitely a fair point for sure. Um, have you thought about who you might take on the other end? Are you, you going to go star and scrub or or scrub scrub or how, how are you looking at it? Well, there's so many good matchups because then there's Jeff Samarja at home against Atlanta, and you'll get to and- watch it. He's yeah, and he added his curveball uh, recently, and you know, I'm not sure that the curveball is a great pitch in its uh, of itself. But you know, since he's been reluctant to throw that split finger, I think he's been kind of like hard, harder, hardest instead of you know we always make fun of um, of you know slow, slower, slowest. So. You know, without the splitter, in that splitter percentage has been dwindling and dwindling. I can't help but wonder if it's, you know, hurting him. He won't admit to anything uh, about it. But I keep asking him, what, you know, what's going on with the splitter? Without the splitter, um, he's a sinker, slider, uh, four-seam guy and cutter. And that means his slowest pitch is 87. And, like, 80% of his pitches go, like, 94. So, you know... I think he was looking for that extra speed. Now with a curve at 80, they have to respect a much broader brand of of stuff. So it hasn't turned out to be really great for his strikeouts because I think the pitch itself is, um, you know, doesn't get a lot of whiffs. Mm -hmm. It gets 9% whiffs, which is, you know, slightly below average, not terrible. But I think what's great for him is that it gets like 80% ground balls and it doesn't turn into home runs. That's a huge point. Yeah, for him. So... That's a really uh, appealing matchup for me. You know, Mike Montgomery might that, be really... By the way, that was uh, Jeff Samarja, right? That was Jeff Samarja, yeah. Going against Atlanta. Yeah, and you got, you know, Mike Montgomery's really cheap uh, going against Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, you don't have to worry about the, you know, what's Wrigley going to do today thing. What about his counterpart there? I'm not a huge Bud Norris guy, I, but has he not been pitching well anymore? Has he fall, coming back? Come back to earth. I'm looking right now, actually. Yeah, he he. Okay, he has. Okay, hasn't been great with the Dodgers, and we thought that the the cutter would change everything. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, I mean, he's just added a cutter, and he's the slider guy. So you know, the blending that we talk about yeah. sometimes. What about yeah. like a Brandon Finnegan? I know he's going into Arizona, but maybe that's something that kind of keeps him off the radar. He's a big gamble because it seems like he either goes four and allows five runs or puts a no-hit bid through six or seven innings and yeah. nothing in between. So it's like, do you want to take the gamble where he could end your night before it even starts, or do you want to try to hit big and, and see if he can do what he did again uh, last time out against the Dodgers, seven innings of one-hit ball, or what he did to open the month, six innings of two-hit ball against St. Louis. Probably too risky there. Uh, with Finnegan, but but definitely a consideration to kind of spike many, that big performance. Yeah, if, if like a if I was in a you know one of those tourney plays where there's you know ten thousand people, um, you know the Brandon Finnegan play could be the one that wins it for you. You know, uh, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm going to put you on blast here and just tell people what you told me off air. You already told me that you're using Adam Morgan and Pat Dean. I just don't <laughs> know why you're wasting our time with all these good picks. You, that was the first thing you said. 
In fact, before you even said hello, you said, Adam Morgan, Pat Dean. I said, what the hell are you talking about? You're like, tell Danny tonight, man. That's who I'm using. You can't talk me off of it. So I think we're wasting our time here. We got to get into the, uh, into the main topics. I'm sorry. All right. All so right. good luck with those. I hope you – I was just trying to do a little prep work. Yeah, I mean, I hope, <laughs> I, I hope you can win with, with Morgan and, and Pat Dean. No, uh, joking aside, we're not going to jump in just yet. Are you considering any of the top dollar guys like Verlander, Kluber – um, who else even is there tonight? Uh, Sale going against the, the Mariners. Are you considering any of them to go with your guy, your, your scrub guy, or are you going to go like a Samarja Liriano or something like that and then just stock up hitting? Well, I'm really tempted because I like the number of, of cheap guys. I'm really tempted to go with the cheap guys because something like Phelps, Samarja, like I just feel like so much like the Giants are going to win. I feel like you know. Yeah, and Kluber has to go into Texas. Yeah, Kluber's going into Texas. I don't, wouldn't want that one. Verlander gets the Angels at home, which is good, but he's going to be mad expensive on the other side of it for sure. Verlander's the one that I would be into. Um, maybe if I don't find a stud hitter that I'm in love with. I didn't pay him to say that. I didn't pay you know to say that he would go for Verlander. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sale against Seattle is interesting. But Sale's been pitching to contact, and he's going up against Felix, which Felix is not the Felix of old, but that's more of a 50-50 game in terms of getting that win. Exactly, and the win in, for those of you who don't play DFS, the win in DFS is so crucial, and yeah. that's certainly what, what gives it some of the volatility. Um, and that's you know. the reason why the, the, the cheap pitchers are sometimes a bad deal. Yes, because they're just not going to get that win. Right, so, you know, helps, helps against the Padres. <clears throat> is is iffy for the win, maybe, but I think Phelps's bullpen has gotten better recently. You know, Ramos is back, and um, you know they've kind of got like a, a three pitcher guy, the three pitcher lineup at the back of the rotation at the back of the bullpen. It's okay with Bear Claw. Uh, they're playing. They're playing at home. Yeah, Bear Claw, uh, Ramos, uh, Rodney's is is not bad. Oh yeah, Rodney, but done from the left side too. Yeah, and. Um, and done right, yeah. And then you know the Padres are pretty bad, and they're in Miami, so the it should swing towards Miami. Plus, Jared Cozart is bad. I don't, how's he not a reliever yet? Because I still think no. he's going to be a good reliever. Like, I can't believe they keep giving him shots as a reliever, man. Power, power cutter, power curve. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you're really good reliever. It's going to so. work. I, yeah. I, I have a. It's not even an if thing. I think he's yeah. going to end up being a stud reliever. Maybe as a closer, we'll be like, man. What took him so long? Why'd they wait till he was 27, which is what, what he'll be next year? Um, so hopefully none of my competitors are going to listen to this in time to set their lineups because uh, I'm leaning Phelps Samarja, but Verlander is the one um, that'll, uh, that'll make me think. No Coors games, so that kind of keeps the hitting wide open. Right. Um, usually, you know, you should. And the Texas, the Texas and uh, Cell games, which is probably the uh, – and maybe – yeah, I guess maybe I'll probably look at some Milwaukee um, Pittsburgh players because that's Vogel's on Margarza in Milwaukee. Yeah, um, because like you were saying, the sell, that's Felix Sale. Yeah, Felix and Sale. And Kluber's then, pitching to Texas. Yeah. Maybe you take some in, Indians guys against Martin Perez, but he finds a way to get it done. Like, it's never flashy. You certainly would I never... I tried to stack against Perez, and it doesn't It doesn't work. It, One it of the things I... One of the things I think it might not work, and let me check this while I'm talking, but he has, you know, he, he has two really good pitches. And 
the sinker and the change. I still think he should be better, Martin Perez. But he is only yeah. 25. He might still get better in a year, like in the next year or two. Like, he just, it's so difficult to trust him with 4.6 strikeouts per nine. He has a 1 3 strikeout to walk ratio this year, you know? Yeah. It's I was so going to say that maybe he was better against uh, righties, like reverse, like John Dang situation. But uh, no, he has a 4.8 career K9 against righties and a three walk per nine and uh, gives up almost a homer per nine. So that's that's a pretty bad line. Not great. So maybe I'll find some righties. Maybe maybe it's time for Nap Nap Wiener. I, I, I like that nickname. I believe that's for Napoli. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm in on it. I say yes. Let's let's do it. Um, let's see who else they've got on their team. Every, every guy I'm thinking of right now is a lefty. You can go Santana, who's obviously a switch hitter. I don't know how he does against lefties this year. Francisco Lindor is a switch hitter. That could be an expensive guy. How do you feel on your expensive guys? Are you going for pure power? Do you like combo players? You know, because Lindor could leave the yard but steal some bases, get a few hits. When you're when you're building the the lineup with your two or three centerpieces, what do you lean toward? Power. Yeah, I think I that, that, that's, that's the way to go. I look for uh, – and it's really tempting often to go with a guy like Goldschmidt against a righty or Arenado against a righty um, and not take the platoon option. I try to avoid that as much as possible because, you know, Goldschmidt against a righty or Goldschmidt against a lefty, you know, that's, I'd rather take him against a lefty. But that's a DFS market inefficiency, I think, is going same side because so many people are afraid to do it. Yeah, I will do it sometimes with the elite sluggers because – they got to where they are by not having big splits, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And if you if you look at uh, at Goldie, well, Goldie has a 176 WRC plus against lefties, and it's 138 against righties. I guess the what you were saying here is that 138 is still pretty good. One, that's a, that's the thing. 138 is still really yeah. good, and there's just some of the the guys who kind of you know have the math thing where someone like that's eliminated because they're only looking. For platoon right. split advantage, then they're sorting by you know OPS, but whatever it is, they don't even necessarily you, capture a Goldschmidt in there. And if you want to get a, a guy with the platoon advantage in a nice home park, there are some nights where that doesn't exist. Exactly. So you've got to be creative. Yeah. Now on a Friday night, you can probably find it because it's a full slate, so right. you should have lots of but options. But there's not a lot of hitters parks going on right now. No. Nope. Um, you know, Houston is home, Milwaukee's home, Arizona's home, Texas is home, what Chicago about, is home. What about but Yankees? we already talked about the pitching matchups in some of those places. So I'll probably be zeroing in on Finnegan Shipley in Arizona. Um, I might look at Smiley Fires in, in Houston because that is a, you know, combustible home run situation. You know, why don't then, you peep, peep those Yankees against uh, Giovanni Gallardo at home? Yeah, yeah, especially a lefty. Yeah, well, he's a, a lefty right. Yankee. Huh? Oh, you mean a lefty for the Yankees? Okay, I was like, yeah. wait a minute. You're like, uh, I'm not going to do it in in this league, but I picked up Teixeira, uh for one game in one of my leagues. Just to, just uh, to hope he can go yak against uh, Gallardo. Gallardo, uh, yeah. I, I did, well, you know, I thought you were saying that he was a lefty Gallardo. Maybe that's his yeah. next move is to just switch hands. <laughs> How come pitchers never tried that? I mean, I know Pat I Venditti see does this it. Coming. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, like Yankees are all prepared, going to go up there, and then boom, he comes out left-handed throwing like nine <laughs> different pitches. Gallardo, I just saved your career. You're welcome, dog. No big deal. Just you know, I'll bill you. You Darvish can supposedly hit 88 from the left side. That I'm not surprised. I'm not, <laughs> with, a, with a devastating changeup, I'm sure. 
Yeah, right. And, 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 and still the same 65 mile an hour <laughs> hook. That's because you, Darvish, is a hero. <laughs> All right, let's talk a few other guys here, and then we're going to get into your piece on pressing with a new team uh, that focused on Chris Davis, but also talked about a lot of guys who, you know, you kind of tested the theory of pressing. They would all fit it. Chris Davis, Jason Hayward, and Justin Upton. We'll get to them in a minute. You know, three weeks ago you wrote about uh, Marcus Stroman. We actually discussed him. He'd been pitching well. Three more weeks later, He's still pitching extremely well, still generating a bunch of strikeouts, which is different than even the previous peaks of Marcus Stroman. So this is almost kind of the best we've seen him uh, when, when you really look at it from a, from a decent sample size standpoint. Since July 1st, a 3.02 ERA in 59 and two-thirds innings with 64 strikeouts and just eight walks. Um, what's, give me an update here. What do, we, what do we got after three more weeks of of work out of Marcus Stroman. Yeah, I mean, some of the, sometimes it's really just comes down to strikeouts and walks. We talk about that a lot about how how simple the game can be and um, how one of the best predictors in season predictors of a of a pitcher's performance is strikeouts minus walks. And um, you know, for him, it's really been you know throwing more strikeouts and reducing the walks. And I I think. Um, you know, most of it, it it was covered in my piece where I talked to about how he uh, sort of mimicked David Price in a couple of ways. And he even got uh, a dog named Astro, which was taking it a little bit far, but whatever's <laughs> working for you, Marcus, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, no one asked questions about uh, when he got learned this from David Price because uh, they're now on competitors. But uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh the 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 short version is that he calmed his delivery down did a couple of things with his hands and his feet um to 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 simplify his delivery i think that was on the walk side and on the strikeout side he just started throwing his slider harder more often and with more drops so um you know in a, in a way it's kind of going back to his roots because when i talked to him earlier he said oh you know i was a four seam slider guy in college and um you know, then I learned this awesome sinker. <laughs> I mean, he's getting like 65% ground ball rates with it. Marcus Stroman was like, yeah. who needs strikeouts when they're just dribbling the ball to second base and shortstop every five seconds. Yeah. But then you get the guys who start to kind of hang out over the plate on you and, that's, and take that, you the other way. And that's what uh, happened early this year against Stroman. He just started getting, it, it was either great start or terrible start. Either the team had him completely figured out from, from jump street or they were going to be shut down for, for six innings. It was it was such a guardrail to guardrail thing early on for Marcus Stroman. Yeah. So uh, I, I think he kind of went back to his roots, went to the slider more, and brought the four scene back a little bit. Um, and I think that's been good for him in terms of, you know, it's actually, if you look at Rick Porcello, I think he did very something very similar where Porcello, Porcello, I don't care. I, I go Porcello. <laughs> I think it's Porcello. Okay, Porcello. He, play, uh, Porcello's... he plays the Porcello though. He could not afford <laughs> a really good one. It's kind of it's kind of garbage cello. You'd think with the money, he's... I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, so so uh, so Porcello, uh, uh, he's throwing his forcing less. So you could say, oh, you know, he's throwing his better fastball more often, um, and uh, and that's the key. It's not that, though, because he's throwing his four-seam in two-strike counts as much as he was before. Um, I think what's happened is he's just using it less. 
before two strike counts, so people are sort of not thinking about the four seam, and uh, and then boom, there it comes. So um, I'm now going to look at Marcus Stroman and see if that that works. By the uh, way, you know who else is doing that? Um, what's that? Ivan Nova is, oh. is, is using his his four seamer a lot less, but the times that he's using it. Is, is is helping it be a lot more effective. There are not a lot of sweeping changes with Ivanova so far in in Pittsburgh, but um, you know, and this is this is kind of a speculation thing, kind of based on the results, maybe making something fit. So we got to see more time with it. But it seems like he's just pitching in the zone a lot more confidently with both the fastball and curveball, maybe without the fear of, of giving up homers left and right, not being in the AL beast. But there were not sweeping changes that have kind of led to to his improved performance. The only thing that's majorly different is his walk rate because um, he's dropped the fastball usage big time overall, but he is throwing it similarly in those two strike counts that you're talking about uh, with Rick Porcello. So I found that interesting that you uh, brought it up with Porcello. Yeah, that, that is great. You know, and, uh, you know, surprise and relative movement. Like, for example, if you just look at Stroman's forcing by itself, it's straight and it doesn't have much ride because he's not a over the top guy, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd say, well, you know, you should put that away probably. But <laughs> it has six it's six inch difference between because the sinker is so nutty. He has a six inch difference between it and his four seam. So if it becomes more of a surprise pitch, uh, and it does his usage does go up with two strikes. If it becomes more of a surprise pitch, then uh it becomes really effective. So you know, in this in this run, uh, the whiff rate on his four seam is in twelve percent, which is twice the the uh, the going rate. So he's definitely using it for whiffs. He's using it to surprise guys. He's using it for people that are thinking only about um, the the sinker. And uh, even though he can't necessarily command it as well as the sinker, um, you know, when everyone's swinging a sinker, here comes four seam, you know, and you're going to swing under that. So, so uh, are, are you uh, buying this run from Stroman that? You know, it took a while. There was high hopes for him coming into the season. Like I said, he was disappointing early on. Are we getting, you know, kind of what we wanted now, even though it's it, it's maybe a little bit later than expected? Should we continue to rely on Marcus Stroman? Do you think there, there's going to be hype around him going into next year? How do you feel about more of a general outlook on Stroman over the next um, year, I guess, the rest of this one and then into next year? All right, well, let me do something real quick. Okay. Uh, so July... So, let's see here. Are you getting Since, out your Porcello? I'm playing a little ditty. Do, 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 do. I have song. no idea what a, isn't <laughs> yeah, more yeah. Like, um, like uh, a violin sort of right. type of so, sound? I don't know how to do um, a violin sound with my mouth. So, yeah, I will not try. So, since July uh, started, which is when uh, I think he made some of these changes, he has 58 strikeouts and 53 innings and seven walks. That, That's really that's you know three you know three two three ERA you know yes he's been giving up some homers but you have to factor in the park a little bit he, he had one really bad outing there that where, where three of the homers were given right. up and six of the earned runs that came against Oakland in Oakland of all things which you know if you're playing the don't do start don't start you you got hung with that you, one you, but you I think at this one. point you don't play that game with Stroman you play him every time I agree. I agree. This was a guy you were looking to pitch every time. Like that was that's how he was drafted. Right. You might have had to wait out these rocky waters. A lot of folks probably aren't even getting this. Though. A lot of folks who drafted him in mixed leagues, they might have moved on. 
I mean, he had a 533 ERA through June. So Marcus Stroman might be on a new team, really ticking off a lot of folks who drafted him. Yeah, so now, yeah, I mean, do you, I don't know, it's tempting to make him an ace again, but he hasn't done this for a full year, um, and he didn't have the strikeout rates before, so I think I'd rather put him in that group that I often buy from, which is um, the the twos that could be ones. Yes, I love you know? that group. Did yeah, that, that group that's a great was not group. great this year, though. No, it wasn't really. Um, but I think the homers were an issue there because if you're a two but not a one, you've got a little bit of a flaw there, right? You probably have either a ball and play thing or a home run thing, right? Like a Drew Smiley situation where you have all the strikeouts and you limit the walks, but you know you're, we're betting that they become one by limiting the home runs. That was not a good bet this year. Exactly. across the board yeah if, if that was your key you're like you know what all these guys have to do i got three guys on my team they're gonna be studs <laughs> they just got to clean up the home run issue a little bit and boom i'm getting a championship mm-hmm. oh wait i'm in ninth place out of seven yeah you play in a seven team league and you finish ninth that's how terrible you did by counting on guys to not give up home runs this year although smiley's pitching better of late too I know we're going a little bit AL East centric, and I didn't even ask you uh, about Drew Smiley, but he's pitching better, probably a little bit too late on on a different team in ten and twelve team mixed leagues as well, because he was devastatingly bad, and uh, and maybe finally keeping the ball in the park. I still worry about somebody uh, Drew Smiley's health with somebody like that. He continues to to get nicked more than even the average pitcher, so I, I do worry about him. But Stroman, Porcello, I'm in on those two. I want to talk about a couple of young guys here. If you had kind of ranked the prospects, well, actually, we, we do this sort of thing. When you rank the prospects coming in. <laughs> if you had a, if, a if list. Theoretical listing of how you thought <laughs> the pitchers might do for the upcoming season. And if you updated right. that in the midst of the season. I call it a, a ranking. <laughs> my guess, and again, this is a completely hypothetical thing because nobody does this. You don't make a list of – like, that's stupid. Who would do that? But God, you were – to change it. the industry, you I mean, and me, Paul. We should we should actually take this offline, and we we might have an idea. <laughs> Stop talking about. We might have an idea, um, but when <laughs> we were doing our rankings, prospect wise, there weren't too many that were going to be higher than Jose Barrios coming into the season. Maybe you like Lucas Giolito better. Maybe you like Tyler Glass. Now he was not really getting deeper than the second or third prospect on a lot of lists. The expectation was that he was one of the more polished ones. He would come up sooner. Does the fact that Jose Barrios has been god-awful in nine starts, does that give – does that maybe show why Minnesota didn't bring him north initially and you know waited until April 27th to even bring him up? Or is that completely independent? You know, is the performance independent of their decision? Because he's been, he's been bad. He has no, no I mean, good starts. It's, it's exactly what they said w- would happen, that he didn't have good command. Uh, and you know, if we scout the box score too hard, we say, "What are you talking about? He never, you know, he never walked more than average in in the minor leagues." Well, you know, a, you know, this is something that people don't talk about too often. The umpires are worse in the minor leagues, and I think that we do a decent job of hitting on that. If I can back Pat, because we talk about it with some guys who have the nasty curveballs who don't get yeah. their strike calls, their walk rates look higher, and it's like, oh, he can't control it. Not really. The guys can't call the strikes the way they're supposed to. So that's, right, that's right. an interesting point. <laughs> that's, a, that's one that even the major league umpires have trouble with is the, is the low curve. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, yeah, so that's that, that's one part. The other part is the, the, the hitters are crappier, so they're just swinging it more. So, um, you know, 
I think in his situation, like it'd be so much better if he was um, in the National League because he could just throw to the middle of the plate, you know, have a game against Atlanta, and uh, you know, strike out eight and walk one, and and, and you know, feel like a, feel like he knows yeah. what he's doing in the majors for one start. Yeah, I mean, that, something like that can can do it because oh, he yeah. just he hasn't had it. No, you know, he, like I'm being serious when I say he. Hasn't had a good game. His best game for Barrios was a baseline quality start, six and three against uh, at Cleveland on August first. Not a bad outing with five strikeouts, no walks, I'm not five sure hits. Sure that that's gonna be like, oh, I'm I can hang. That's Maybe it should have been enough, but no, I, mean, I, I don't think that's a confidence changer when you came into that outing with a 10-20 ERA. Maybe. Maybe that it was so bad that he's like, yeah, okay, I got this figured out. I'm a beast now. And then right. he ended up giving up. Uh, let's see. Over his next four, if, if he thought he was a beast, let's get into the mind of Jose Barrios. He's like, I got this thing figured out. The MLB isn't hard. Over his next four starts, he gave up a 10 13 ERA. Nice. And now he's sent out again. So, yeah. again, I want to look long term. You know, how much has the, have these nine starts changed your outlook on a Jose Barrios? Um, because, I mean, there's no redeeming. I know it's only nine starts, and we're not going to say that his career's over at age 22. But there was not a single redeeming factor here. What What is your future outlook on Jose Barrios? Well, I think the curveball's still pretty nasty. At 81, uh, with that kind of movement, it's very good. I think all of his stuff has a lot of movement. Um, so that's good. And that makes it probably hard for him to command it. It's also pretty easy to see what he needs to do. I mean, right now he's got a 39% zone percentage. The league average is 30, 45. Um, so that alone, getting to league average, will... Well, I mean, that's interesting helps. because pitch FX has, tells a different story. But either way, uh, also his first strike rate is below. So he, he needs to get strike one. And if he can command the curve uh, and they're swinging at fastballs on strike one, then he needs to start throwing some first, uh, first pitch curveballs. Okay. You know, throw those in the zone. Uh, don't be worried about burying them. Just sort of, you know, get, get yourself a lollipop curve, uh, a get-me-over curve. And then all of a sudden you got some strike ones and then everything's going to flow from there. And it's funny, you know, I and we often talk about how we think the swing strike rate is um, this sort of static number that, like, you know, reflects stuff. But part of that is getting the batters to swing. And um, if you're walking the lineup, you're not going to get the batters to swing. So, you know, as much as his swing strike rate is not super impressive right now. Doesn't mean his stuff is bad. That doesn't mean his stuff is bad. And it could, you know, once he starts getting ahead and starts making him swing, um, I, you know, I think that this is, you know, Shoemaker is an interesting uh, name for this discussion. Because I think early in the season, uh, he had a boring swing strike rate. Um, I'm pretty sure he did. Oh, yeah. He had and, a boring everything. Right. And, you know, everyone was saying it was the home run problem, but also, you know, oh, he's not getting whiffs. Now he's got a 12.9% whiff rate. Um, and it was just the magic of maybe, you know, either throwing the splitter for or strikes or just throwing the splitter so often that, you know, people couldn't decide what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I kind of want to see what the zone rate is on his, on his uh, splitter because nobody has a good zone rate on the splitter. If he does, that's kind of brilliant. Let's see here. Zone. Remember the Guinness commercials where they're like, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. We should bring that. Actually, back. I bet you a, he has a 41.4%. Uh, zone rate, zone percentage on his on his um, splitter. That's probably pretty good for a splitter. Um, the only it's other guy who I can think probably throws one as much as him is Masahiro Tanaka. So you can compare yeah, it to his Tanaka. 
Uh, Tanaka had a great year. He Tanaka, was he's very quietly beasting. My my labor team is in in fourth or fifth right now, and it's based on the fact that I bought two number twos to be ones, and that was Tanaka and Smiley. Uh, you know, didn't really work out with Smiley, but at least he's been healthy and um, getting the K's. And and again, like I was saying earlier, better ba- recently. Ba- yeah, back on track lately. Um, right when you need it yeah. most. So for example, Tanaka's. Uh, splitter, he doesn't use it for strikes. 34% zone percentage. Yeah, he buries so, that sucker. The I think, problem is when he hangs it, that's when his home runs come into to play. And he hasn't really had a huge home run issue this year for Tanaka. 0.86, career best rate. So I think Shoemaker's throwing uh, some of his splitters for strikes on purpose. That's really interesting. Yeah, so anyway, uh, I think that's what, uh, that's what uh, Mr. Barrios needs to do. He needs to start throwing some of his secondary stuff for strikes. You know, I'm not. I'm saying this like, oh, that's all I gotta know. It's it's so simple. Just go out there and do that, dude. Come on, bro. Not everyone is Rich Hill. So um, hey, you won, by the way. Remember when we 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 tried to guess how many pitches he was going to throw? I was very negative. I said like 38. Yeah, I said 75 or something. Yeah, I thought you said something in the 80s, and he ended up with like 90 something. I'm looking right now. Uh, 81. Yeah, it, it it was a bad deal for either of us because. Um, if he, uh, if the blister hurts, then, I mean, it was either or, it wasn't going to be anything in between. No, no. Cause yeah. they, they couldn't send him a hundred. We knew that wasn't going to happen. So it was either yeah. going to be a foolish outing, which is upper seventies, low eighties, ended up being 81, or it was going to pop again and, and be a nightmare. But anyway, um, so yeah, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of looking at some other guys with their splitters. You know who else throws a splitter for strikes, which at least according, I didn't even know he really had a, a, a splitter. Mike Fires. Uh, at least this, this change up that I'm looking at, yeah, is classifying his changeup as a splitter. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, if he started throwing it a ton, I might be more impressed. But right now, he's got no fastball command. So yeah, exactly. All right, I want to talk about a couple other guys here because you are on a time crunch, so we got to move it along. Seth Lugo, prospect-ish for the Mets. He's 26 years old, so certainly not a flashy prospect. He's come up now so far. He's pitching pretty well. Only two starts, though. Uh, both quality starts. Or no, excuse me. He was an inning shy. He threw five scoreless against St. Louis, but uh, that doesn't get it to a quality start. Six and two-thirds, three runs in his, in his first outing. Some decent work out of the bullpen before that. Is Seth Lugo someone we want to look at down the stretch here? And if so, what league type? Well... I think he's a little better than uh, Paul Clements, and the reason I put him, I, I bring up Paul Clements, is because Seth Lugo has the highest spin rate on any curveball in baseball. And that was what you had said. He, he dethroned Paul Clements, yes. Yeah, yeah, and and Paul Clements was like curve only was the joke that we had. Yes, um, and uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case for Lugo. I mean, his fastball, you know, ninety two, ninety two and a half. You know, probably just 92 overall. That's that's a tick above average. Uh, good, you know, run on a sinker. Uh, has you know has both a four seam and a and a sinker. And the sinker gets a lot of well. The sinker is not great in terms of ground balls. You might have guessed that uh, from his overall ground ball rate. Yeah, um, percent. Seth Lugo is like a five pitch guy though because he's got the, yeah. uh, the slider change and right now. Yeah. And of course, this tiny ass sample. Um, all of them but the sinker are, um, well, the change isn't great. So I guess he's a little bit more of a you know four-seam breaking ball guy. Uh, but at least he has two breaking balls. 
and uh, at least the slider is average. So and, and they're distinct. They're ten miles apart. So he's got the velocity bands, yeah. ninety-two-ish with the uh, fastball, eighty-seven with the slider, seventy. I think that's probably a Wharton slider right there. Yeah, because it doesn't have sense. the same drop as uh, a lot of other uh, sliders out there. But it goes eighty-eight, eighty-seven. Uh, that's a good number for for a slider. Uh, I think that's good. I think that's really good because, yeah, like you said, the velocity bands. He's got 92, he's got 88, he's got 78. And he'll throw occasional changes on lefties uh, yeah, to keep him honest. change, if he could get it down, you know, probably at its lowest, it's like an 83. You know, still a little bit uh, different than the, than the slide piece there. So you almost got – definitely have three different bands, maybe four at times. It's not bad for, for Seth Lugo. I could see him – Doing some decent work down the stretch here. Ten percent swing strike rate isn't too bad. About an average walk rate. But where am I? Where am I picking him up? Uh, I think he's a matchups play in most leagues. Okay. Um, I think that uh, for one, I think that uh, the park factors for him are not like look past that Mets AAA line for 2016. Because and Vegas, right? it's Vegas first and. His best asset, obviously, if he's got the best curveball swing, uh, swing strike rate out there, or, or the spin rate out there, is his curveball. And then Vegas is an altitude. So mm-hmm. uh, even Noah Syndergaard said, I had to put my curveball away for a while in uh, in Vegas. That's so right. if you take uh, – Seth Lugo is not Noah Syndergaard, so if you take he's better curveball away from him, you know, he'll work on his worth and slider, but he's he's not going to be the same guy. So yeah, that, that, that's – and, and if, if he was shelving it, it didn't work, but if he's using it, it because uh, I mean he got killed. Six fifty right. ERA and triple like you cannot go off of that. Twelve point six hits, one point two homers. But if you look at his strikeout and walk rates, those were in line with what he does. Three ten strikeout to walk ratio with uh, seven and a half strikeouts and about two and a half walks, which isn't bad. But he, he was just getting obliterated. I'm sure the BABIP was like nine fifty. I mean he's just getting smashed. So I agree. I, I think I consider Lugo as a matchups play in a lot of different league types where you need. You know, you're not going to get the flash if you're looking for the the big spike of uh, of of a amazing outing. You're not going to get that. If you need some quality innings, though, I think Seth Lugo can offer that. Eat yeah. Up. So hold on, let me just look at um, his uh, his situation coming up because that's I think helpful to some people. Who's he uh, Miami at home on the thirtieth in four days. And then um, ostensibly Washington after that, drop him. I see. I'd use him for that Miami start, and then and, then, move, on. and move on because I think his, I think Steamer does an okay job. Steamer uh, adjusts a little bit more, I think, for Vegas being such a crapshoot, and gives him a four two ERA, one three WHIP, uh, seven strikeouts per nine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, honestly, I think he could be with a ten percent swing strike rate in twenty eight innings. I think he could be a little better than that, um, but um, you should bet on that. And so then he becomes a play against a team like Miami, I think, uh, missing Stanton, um, not really scoring a lot of runs. But then, you know, bring Washington in there, and he's got to face, uh, you know, much more of a murderer's row with Murphy, Zimmerman, um, some guy named Bryce. Yeah. So uh, I've heard talk about that guy. I don't really know anything about him. Might be all right. But whatever. Uh, Okay, so one start right now with Lugo. Drop him back after that against Washington. See what happens after after the Washington start and kind of go from there. Don't get too committed to uh, to Seth Lugo. You know what about Homer Bailey? Um, Five seventy three ERA is obviously devastatingly ugly since since his return from Tommy John over the course of five starts. Though the skills are much better. In fact, you just kind of look at the three ten FIP. 
Uh, that's kind of shorthand to make you take a second look. 26% strikeout rate, 6.8% walk rate, 10% swinging strike rate. These are all better than his career averages, but a 431 BABIP right now is really hurting Homer Bailey. Is there any usefulness uh, for Homer Bailey? I know he's coming off Tommy John, so you know I'm not super eyeing him, but that just means I won't draft the guys coming off of Tommy John. Doesn't mean I wouldn't pick them up, try to try to spot them here and there. I just I always worry that they're going to have the devastating outing, which can strike at any moment uh, with the Tommy John guys. But should we be looking at Homer Bailey to kind of improve on these ugly numbers so far? I mean, one one thing that isn't back necessarily is the velocity. Okay, um, it's not, and that was it's interesting. You know, one thing that just to, if people are using Brooks, it's important to remember that Brooks is usually about a mile per hour harder Hot. than um, than we're used to looking at because uh, Brooks measures, extrapolates back to, uh, you know, pitch FX goes from 50 feet. Pitchers throw from 60 feet. Uh, but since pitchers throw with different extensions and get the ball out further in front, you know, they, they, ha- they can have like six to eight inches of, uh, of extension. Uh, six to eight inches feet of extension, right? So that gets you from 60 to about 50. So pitch FX just says, I'm going to do it at 50. But the average pitcher releases around 55, okay. right? So pitch FX says, yeah, but some guys release it further than that. So I'm just going to measure it at 50 and that's it. Um, and so Brooks says, well, no, in order to get a real, you know, look at what the velocity is really like, we should go back to 55. Um, so when you look at the velocity on um, our page at Fangraphs, you'll see you know 92.9 um, or you know you know 93, 92 to 93 basically on a fastball. When you look at Brooks, you'll see 94. Um, that's the same thing. Okay. So that's that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is 92, 93 sounds good, but you know Homer Bailey was okay for a while, and then he kind of took off. The year where he went from ninety two, ninety three to ninety four. Yeah, and it was awesome. And I thought he was going to be a stud, and then he got Tommy John. Right, and it was just it was like it was like turn on a light bulb because in two, in two thousand twelve he averaged um, you know ninety two five on the fastball, and in two thousand twelve he had a three six eight ERA with seven strikeouts per nine, and was basically just every like a lot of people's last starter. 397 FIPS says, you know, maybe even getting a little bit uh, fortunate for the skills that he was putting up, maybe a little right. bit of favorability. And then what happened in 2013? 94 miles an hour, uh, 349 ERA, 112 whip, 8.5 strikeouts per nine, uh, 11% whiff rate, um, you know, a, a, an FIP that was below his ERA, basically should have been a 3 3 pitcher that year with a strikeout per inning and was suddenly a lot of people's ace or. You know, uh, you know, number two, or, or didn't even have to be their ace because of where they were able to draft him. Right, if right. You drafted another ace or two. You know, you get ace. he's your third guy. Yeah, secret ace. So, um, yeah. So I think I think can he get back there at age thirty one? The best we can expect for him going forward is more the old one. Okay. Where you know three seven five ERA one two five WHIP. Um, you know, kind of back end guy, more of a deep league guy, more of a matchups guy. Uh, but that's not to say he can't, you know, ramp it back up again. He's, you know, he took a long time off. Absolutely. And uh, and he basically missed 
all of 2015 and most of this year. So, um, yeah, two starts last year for Homer Bailey, and now just five starts so far this year. So it, it's been a long time down. But at the same time, you know, I do like to see the strikeouts are back, the swinging strikeouts are back. Um, you know, he's trusting uh, his pitches. You know, most of his pitches are back up to where they were, and he's even thrown the curveball again. He might have th- put the curveball away um, in 2015 because, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're coming back from Tommy John, they say not to throw the slider and not to throw the curveball. So, um, you know, here he's, he's throwing the knuckle curve again. Uh, you know, he's not throwing the split finger as much, which is interesting because that was, um, you know, that was an interesting part of, the of his repertoire. Yeah, I that was like that a pitch. good out pitch for him. So, um, but uh, he is throwing it, and he's throwing more than 10%. So right now, if you fudge the curve to 10% from 9%, he's basically got five pitches. Okay. And they're all getting whips. They're all got decent movement. And really, he's just getting babbit to death. If you look at sort of traditional metrics across the line, um, you know, he, he looks pretty good. So You know, it's, it's only five starts, so parsing an already small sample can be dangerous. But I'm looking at the game log for Homer Bailey, and he's amped up the uh, split finger usage recently from 10% in, in a couple starts to 14 and 15% his last two. So maybe he's gaining more confidence in it. I don't know. But I loved that pitch when he was on. I really thought that that was going to be the, the game changer that, that kept him either as that, uh, that fringe fantasy ace or, or made him a really solid number two. Yeah, so... so I hope he can continue to use that. Um, any leagues where you're stashing Homer Bailey then? Because I, I know you can't start him everywhere right now. The numbers are still bad. You can still get a tank outing for Tommy John Returner, but are you, are you going to go pick him up and, and hang on to him on your reserve in any leagues right now, or are you, are you still just kind of waiting and seeing? Uh, Homer Bailey? Yes. I've got him. Uh, I've got him, actually, in a, Oh, man, I pulled a, a heck of a trade earlier this year. I got um, Cameron Rupp and uh, Homer Bailey for Brandon Finnegan. Oh, wow. I feel pretty good about that one. I like that trade. Rupp's been great. We, we, and I needed a catcher. I had Devin Mazzarocco. You yeah, know, I've, I've mentioned catcher, five so. trillion times how bad catcher's been this year, and he, he's, been, he's been a boon there. Uh, 813 OPS, 14 homers. That's and nice. I haven't really slowed down either. Yeah, well, you the know, thing is, is he's gotten better against righties like that was the thing he could crush lefties but he's but he's become capable against righties and that uh that's that's made cameron rupp a solid pitcher you know we're up so, against the clock here so i gotta get to yeah. your uh your, your your new piece about pressing with with a new team and, and your the thrust of it was discussing chris davis with a k how um he told you flat out he was pressing early with oakland so you sought to try to uh identify what pressing with a team might be what was your methodology? What'd you find? Uh, well, I found that um, you know I basically looked at his swing his swing metrics because the whole reason I wanted to talk to him was because he he was a exit velocity darling all year. Those we've talked about him oh, a yeah. lot in the show, and we've said you know everything looks fine in terms of when he makes contact. It's just the the the, the swing decision has been bad. And when I actually looked at his rolling swing ch- charts, he swung more early with Oakland than he ever had in his career. And um, that sort of calmed down over time to his, his, his career average. And with that came uh, a little bit more contact and then, you know, all the home runs. So I just thought, well, there's an easy thing to look at is, you know, who are the guys that, that 
you know, broke who came to a new team and and got and broke their you know pressed basically and swung at everything and reached at everything. Yeah, broke their trend, trying to make an impact, trying to show the team that they belong. I mean, the narrative is easy, right? But then right. you see it in practice sometimes too. Um, anybody else pop up? You know, I mentioned at the outset, Jason Hayward, uh, Justin Upton. Did they? How did they? How did they classify when you looked at their numbers? Well. I think the most interesting thing actually is that almost nobody, almost nobody uh, swung less. Oh, wow. So, and in a way, you could almost call that pressing because the person who did it was Jason Hayward. <laughs> yeah. He's the only guy who uh, swung less across the board in terms of first month and season long uh, in his new digs. That's Jason Hayward so far this year. Um, there have been a couple guys who didn't press in the first month. You know, and both both times it was Nelson Cruz. I think that's probably because Nelson Cruz uh, thinks very highly of himself. I was just about to say because he's the boomstick <laughs> baby, which is very right. the same way of saying it, saying it. Yeah, and, and 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 you know, even when he got let go by Texas, he actually was surprised. He had a, a 120 plus. Or that's how I I grouped these guys. I took guys who were 20 percent better than league average in order to to find guys. Right, I wanted just bats. Right. Yeah, you want and, and you want to see the good the good guys, not just a bunch right, of yeah. scrubs. I don't changing care. Teams. You know, Kelly Johnson uh, pressed or didn't press. <laughs> I want uh, a deep dive on every time Kelly Johnson changes teams, how much he's pressing. <laughs> he changes teams nine times a year. They're definitely right. pressing. <laughs> so, uh, so Nelson Cruz when he left Texas was actually even that year that wasn't so great for him. He was still a good stick. It was just I think Texas didn't want to. Um, you know, pay that much for DH, basically. Yeah, I think they probably thought he's DH. And invest in his mid thirties. Yeah, and that's and that's fair. Uh, but um, you know, and then another guy was Russ Martin. He, you know, he seems pretty. He seems to have a pretty a solid ticker in him. Uh, but for the most part, especially when you look at first month, um, like eighty percent of guys in their first month with a new team press, they swing more and they reach more. So you also looked at O swings, right? Which is outside of the zone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the reach rate I'm talking about. So almost everybody in their first month reaches more, and even Robinson Cano, who by the end of the year actually had a decent year in terms of swing rates in 2014, his first year of Seattle. Mm-hmm. In his first month, he reached 6.6 percent more often wow. than he normally. And when you look at re- like reach rates, that's a big deal because and he's a very that's a very disciplined hitter doing it too. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I think almost I think this is one of those things where almost and Evan Gaddis, you know, who is not a disciplined hitter, you know, joined the Astros last year and swung uh, reached six percent more often. So uh, there's a lot of guys who've done it. Justin Upton has pressed with both of his new teams in terms of reach rates. Um, so you know that might be a good sign for him next year uh, in terms of buying him low. I think there's a couple ways to use this. I'm not going to necessarily not ever buy a guy who just went to a new team. But in daily, in the first month, I may stay away from a guy uh, who's with a new team. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, it is the kind of thing that can affect performance over the course of a year. Um, so, you know, I may, I may, you know, take a 50 cents or take a dollar off of some of these guys um, that sign big contracts this off season. I so. like it. See, I, I'd already been kind of doing that with pitchers, where I don't really want to use a guy in his first year on a huge deal with a new team. 
I hadn't really considered it for hitters, and this was eye-opening. And, of course, you guys can find the piece on the main page. Uh, let, me, let me copy that link right now so I put it in the rundown. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting stuff that you found. And like you said, I mean, look at pretty look clear at across the board. Is like, you know, great hitter, you know, bad first year, and then, and then he's been great again. So, you know, Josh Donaldson seems immune uh, to this. Anything bad. He's immune to literally anything. He can't even get sick anymore. Yeah. He's the best immune <laughs> but system. But he swung ever. more in his first month. And he swung more in his first year uh, than he had before. Maybe it was because he was seeing more cookies because he's in a better lineup. But, you know, for whatever reason, he swung more. So Prince Fielder, uh, Hanley Ramirez actually was uh, – last year was a league leader in um, in pressing. So, you know, he was been, he's been he much better. My surprised year. face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, and Denard Spahn, you know, new team hurting. He told me his hip was still hurting at the beginning of this year. Uh, you know, really swung way more than his usual self. Okay. Uh, and and was a was a league leader in pressing in that way. Another so, discipline hitter who, you, you know. And you don't even think, you think, well, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. He's not a big bat. You know, you can't be pressing that hard. Dude, this guy, you know, you know he went from, and, and had surgery and was, you know, joining the Giants, you know, who win, you know, World Series. Yeah, he oh. wanted to, you know, he wanted to play the top of that lineup. He wanted Absolutely. to be good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to come in and show that, you know, he coming off of two, three hundred seasons. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the dude. You know, he was out there for a little while because of the hip. He wants to show that that he's right. He's going to be a contributor on the team, like you're saying. Um, no, I, I think it can happen to anybody. And, again, you used – you only looked at quality guys. He was – a 120 WRC plus Denard Span was. So it's not like you're just looking at a bunch of scrubs who pressed. These are all quality names. Uh, Carlos Beltran in 2014, Matt Kemp in 15, Brandon Moss. Um, you mentioned Nelson Cruz, Hanley, Adam Lind. Adam Lind actually had the biggest uh, April swing rate this year, or second biggest uh, yeah, of, of, of what you measured. He's on my list twice, and he, he was a league leader uh, in one of them, and actually – uh, above average in the other two, so both times Lynn changed spots. So if Lynn gets jettisoned this year, uh, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying stay away completely, but you know, you might it. not be as good of a bargain, especially if he goes like to a hitter's park. Everyone's gonna be like Adam Lynn, you know, yep. like, well, you know, what's the situation? Because he almost lost his job this year. Oh yeah, he was on the cusp for sure. And if he gets to a new situation and he doesn't, he's not guaranteed a job, and he's pressing, he may not. You may not, you may not, uh, to, you may not, you know, work out. So yeah, because it's not like he's fully recovered. He's still toting an eighty-eight uh, OPS plus right now. Adam Lind is. He really only had one good month. He rebounded from the pressing with a big May, but then he spends six eighty something with his OPS the next three months. Yeah, so, so it looks like pressing's a real thing. Obviously, you know, this is your first run through of it. Are there any other factors? You know, have you gotten any feedback on? Oh, maybe you should have changed this to look at it. What What has been the feedback here so far? Well, the sample could be bigger. I only went back three years because I did it by hand, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, kind the of the entire free agency period by hand tonight, or you're right, fired. You know, I know. Well, we only go back like seven years, so you know, I could double it. Uh, other people asked if this sort of change is significant because the league average uh, in terms of pressing is, um, you know, on the order of 1% uh, change. 
Okay. But I think that is, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to run a test so I could run a test, see if it's significant. But I think it is personally sort of anecdotally significant because, um, the spread on swing rates and on reach rates is not that wide. Um, you know, you do have some guys who reach 40% and some guys who reach 20%, but most of the population, uh, is between like 25 and 35 so, yeah, one percent is ten percent, basically. So, yeah, these smaller changes that we see. You mentioned this earlier. You know, three, four, five percent might not feel like much, but it's a it's a big difference. Yeah, and then when you look at and you see that like eighty percent of them swung more, uh, that's that's a that's a more impressive result than necessarily the magnitude of difference. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think if the, I think if these trends continued in a larger sample. I'd feel pretty confident about it. I got some feedback from uh, the master of dips, Boris McCracken. Uh, I've asked him to sort of clarify, but he said if I could objectively identify this as a variable using only numbers, it would be a huge projection tool improvement. So um, I think he's, uh, I think he probably is talking about my selection process because I just selected, you know, batters with the 120 plus um, WRC plus that had changed teams. Um, maybe, uh, that he's talking about that selection process, doing that only by numbers in terms of, um, I'm not sure exactly. So I've asked him to sort of explain, help me understand better. Although I don't really have a projection system, so you know, if he wants to figure that out, you know, more power to by him. By all means, yeah. Yeah, tell me what you figure. <laughs> all right, I you should know. have a projection system, I guess, but uh, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. Exactly, and you do have two children uh, who do keep you busy. <laughs> I don't know. If you've never really mentioned it. You should talk more about your kids. Um, that actually sounds like I'm a fun. Right now, I'm not. groaning really hard. Don't, I won't. Are, 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 they, are they behaving right now? Uh, they're at school, so yes, oh, I that's guess. Good. That's good. Or, or if they're <laughs> not, they're somebody else's issue right now. <laughs> Eat it, teachers. No, I'm just kidding. Eat yeah. you got to get your butt over to San Francisco. Have a good time tonight. You're taking the train. So this is more of a leisure trip than a work trip, Yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm gonna. You got to do your work at the beginning. Freddie but... Freeman. Hopefully, talk to Freddie Freeman. But but once you're done with the interviews, early, don't you, aren't you allowed to kind yeah, of? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll find my way over to like Cellarmaker and. That's uh, what I was kind of getting. At. Are you gonna be able yeah. to have some beers tonight. I'm gonna have some beers. I know you can't be like uh, taking a beer into the clubhouse. What's up? Dude. Hey guys, hey Freddie Freeman, you freaking WRC plus is, is stupid, dude. Okay, like you're on the Braves, and I think you should get traded, dude. Like you're like my favorite <laughs> player. Okay, like the Braves, they suck, dude. Okay, like, God, you should you not here be on anyway? this team. Like Eric Ibar got out. Like why are you still on this team? No, I'm not. Don't, don't yeah, touch me. On. Don't touch me, Jim Johnson. Shut up. Okay, I'm talking to Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, do you know that you look like? The brother from Home Alone, Buzz. Like, I think that's like that's pretty cool, dude. Okay, I do have. I don't know. I have this one thing I want to ask him, uh, or I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to um, bring up to him is that like somebody I knew played with him in, in high school and said he used gardening gloves. Oh my uh, god, batting for batting gloves? gloves? Yeah. Oh please, I hope you ask that. If you can remember, ask I just him don't if- know if I'm being set up by this guy because he said, "Oh no, it would be funny," and I'm like. Was it like something that y'all like made fun of him for? And I'm gonna go in there and, and embarrass mention him. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna be like, keep that out, jeez. He's gonna be like, uh, yeah, it was the most embarrassing thing because we were poor. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up. 
Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's a little bit risky. But you can ask him if he, anyone ever told him that he looks like Buzz from Home Alone because I swear to God he looks exactly like him. <laughs> exactly like him. All right, you know. Okay, that was my second embarrassing question that might get me punched in the face. Don't get punched in the face. That's n- number one. Don't drink before the interviews. Number two. That's <laughs> number two. <laughs> Have a great time. The number one and number two are related, I think. They're very related. They're very related because if you go in there drunk, you might, you might get in some trouble. I would get punched in the face. You would yeah. definitely get punched because you'd be saying some crazy stuff. Um, but have a, have a great time in San Francisco. Yeah, you I gotta and I go. will be talking Wednesday. I got to go. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.